These girls that I danced with were auditioning for the Mickey Mouse Club, and I went with them, and I got the part, and I got to act a little on that show, and I got to sing, okay, well, maybe there's more of a future in this. It seems like hard to be a dancer. <laughs> I'm not sure uh, these Mempsey Hammer Pants are going to look good for very much longer. <laughs> maybe I need to uh, pivot here, you know, so I kind of focused more on acting after that, and it's, it's, it's sort of been like that ever since. You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. Today, I actually got to go on location for Skip Intro, and I'm at the London Hotel in West Hollywood, sitting across from Ryan Gosling. In case you don't know, he's just wrapping up his production on Greta Gerwig's upcoming film Barbie, starring opposite Margot Robbie. And the pictures have been all across the tabloids of he and Margot all over L.A. in Ken and Barbie attire, which has been a total delight. Ryan's ability to seamlessly traverse between genre and character is really perfectly demonstrated by the fact that I'm not here today to talk about Barbie, but rather his leading role in the Russo Brothers epic action film, The Gray Man. And you may know the Russo Brothers for their work with Marvel. Ryan plays Sierra Six, a tough CIA asset who uncovers some agency secrets, which then triggers a global manhunt. The film is packed with thrilling fight sequences one after another. There's such an adrenaline rush the second it starts all the way to the end. And he is just fantastic in it. So let's talk to Ryan Gosling. First of all, I have watched your career from the beginning. Not the beginning, beginning, but when you started doing those young adult roles and it it's been a thrill to see you navigate through the small independent to the big budget to the, you know, the comedies, the, you know, whatever, all the genres. Uh, but the joy I had watching The Gray Man with you in this role, I have to say, was in equal measure to you playing some more of uh, some of your other deeper, darker work in the independent sphere. I just loved it. I loved you in this role. And I read that you are an action film fan, like most of us, right? But what was it about Sierra Six and this particular story that made you want to jump jump right in? Because this is a big scale action film. Well, I always loved action films. They probably made me want to make movies in the first place. But as you know, uh, you know, it, that that just wasn't the path for me. It started, you know, the in, in independent film, and it's just taken me a long time to, to get there. And also, you know, there's, as you know, there's a lot of good ones <laughs> and a lot of famous ones. And so it's sort of was, it's been like, well, what what is it? You know, finding the right one has, has taken a minute. But when I read this, I, I knew that this was it. You know, obviously because of the Russo brothers, they, you know, as much as I think I'm a, an action fan, they're a, they're an even bigger fan. They've spent the last decade making them, making some of the biggest ones. So I couldn't be in better hands. But I think it was this character that I really wanted to play. I did think he was different than than a lot of the other action heroes that I had. You know, first of all, because he's not really a, a hero, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he's like a spy who doesn't want to be a spy. He he would much rather be chilling at home watching Netflix like the rest of us. You know, he doesn't want to be in this movie. He, he doesn't want to have anything <laughs> it's true, though, to do with it. He's not, he's just, get him out of there. He's trying to get out, and uh, he's forced to do this. So I thought, 
that, amongst other things, made him, you know, really compelling to play. Cortland Gentry, born 1980, incarcerated 1995, eligible for parole in 2031. You got a long way to go, son. There's an upside to sleeping so close to your toilet. I get it, you're glib. Well, I'm just gonna cut to the chase. My name is Donald Fitzroy, and I'm here to commute your sentence. You're gonna commute my sentence? Yes. Just like that. When I get up out of this chair and walk out of this prison, you walk with me. Ooh, you're my fairy godmother. <laughs> no offense, I thought you'd look different. I may be, we'll see. What's the catch? You work for us. Who's us? The CIA. We're gonna train you to kill bad guys. And since you've already killed one, it shouldn't be too difficult. What makes you think I wanna do it again? You seem like the type. Well, there's such a, if you don't see that inner life, then there is no movie. And that's what's great for you in this part is we're all thinking about what you're thinking when you're not talking, which mm -hmm. I think is one of the things that makes these kind of films without a lot of dialogue work is that we're, we're following you and, and feeling that. And he is kind of an anti-hero hero. I'm an action junkie. So I'm that person that loves seeing those I've seen every action movie, and I think of the ones, obviously, like Die Hard or whatever, the ones are the big ones. But did you have one growing up that was a favorite of yours? I just loved anything that had action in it. I wasn't really discerning. You know, I think I gravitated to the wards, the ones that were funny or fun. You know, they just were such an escape. And I loved that the characters had a sense of humor about the situations that they were in. I really loved characters that just wouldn't give up. I, I just derived a lot of inspiration <laughs> from that. You know, no matter how extreme the obstacles were, they just they just kept swinging. It put things in my own life into perspective. You know, I love that about this character. I love that he falls out of an airplane without a parachute, and he still <laughs> he still thinks it's like you know uh, in Dumb and Dumber, where he's like you know. So you're saying there's a chance. You know, yeah. it's it's that kind of spirit mm -hmm. that I really admire and, and is fun to watch and fun to play. Well, let's talk about those action stuff because there's, there is so many sequences where you are fighting and like you said, jumping out of an airplane, you are handcuffed to a bench for 15 minutes for one of the best set pieces going that I've seen in a very, very long time. How how is that in terms of your body? Like what how do you prep for that? I mean, I know obviously you have to train, but what what are some of the surprising things that happen as an actor having to memorize the punches and all of that stuff? How does it fit into the actual work of the character? Look, it's it's just a much it's it's a more fun way to work than standing around talking. <laughs> you know, it's it's more fun to do, it's more fun I think to watch, you can physicalize everything. I, I, you know, when I was a kid, I used to dance. I thought I wanted to be a dancer. I think I would have done better in school if I could have moved around and didn't mm -hmm. have to sit still. I think it's why I loved watching action movies and it's why I love making them. You know, it was great to be able to tell the story and communicate your character physically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, because I've never done this before, it was interesting to me. I mean, first of all, what I was, you know, really struck by was how many people it takes to make an action hero. I mean, it looks like it's just me up there doing these things, but there's a whole team of stunt people and special effects wizards, and it takes a village. What was interesting when we first started was, you know, the stunt team kind of took me through this tour of martial arts styles, 
and we tried them all on for size to see what felt the best, and then we kind of curated from all of them what would make this character style and what would be something that would be best suited for me. And then I got to work with this technical advisor on the film, Chili Palmer, who was an ex-Delta Force member, and he was just, I just attached myself to the hip with him. He was on every scene, every day, you know, not only telling me what, where I would stand, how I would stand, what I would say, what I wouldn't say, and all the tactical stuff, which mm -hmm. had to be as best as it could be. But he also had these really great ideas, like, you know, he, he would say, like, oh, you should have Skittles all the time, you know, because they're a great source of energy and, you know, they never go bad. And I was like, oh, I'm stealing that. And he also had this great idea. He said, like, you know, I said in one scene, I'm sleeping in a train car. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, what would you do? And he said, well, I'd tie my shoelace to the doorknob because if someone comes in, you know, you're going to feel it mm -hmm. <laughs> when you're asleep. So it was, he was just this endless source of interesting details that were real. And I'd never seen them in a movie before. And so I have to credit him as well for, mm -hmm. you know. But again, those are all things you can do physically and that they're, they're not dialogue they don't involve dialogue, and they communicate a lot about the character. Mm -hmm. Well, the Skittles certainly paid off, too. I will say I love that Skittles bit that uh, from from when we first are introduced to Skittles until the second There were so many more. Up. It was just all about Skittles <laughs> for a long time. It's just they make a cameo now in the movie, but it was a movie about Skittles for a while. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's talk about the tracksuit. You're introduced. You're all dressed. You're at an event, whether it's New Year's Eve or whatever. It's a very black tie. Right. And then within... Ten minutes, you're in a tracksuit. So how many of those were hanging in the wardrobe closet? That tracksuit, I love that tracksuit. And it came because when I was doing my stunt training, it was this tracksuit that my the stunt team was wearing. Danny Hernandez has a, a martial arts school in Orange County. And that's, that's, what, that's, that's his school jacket. Mm -hmm. So I asked him if I could put it in the movie. And, and that's how that made it in. And I think there was like, so there was like, 30 of them or something at one point. There's one missing now. Yeah. There's, you, there's 29. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it takes a beating and it still looks good. Yeah. That's what I will say about that tracksuit. How is it working with, with the Russo brothers? With What is that like being directed when there's two of them? Because it's inherently a collaboration between the two of them, it's very collaborative. They have been working with a lot of these people for 10 years, they're just as interested in what everyone has to think, you know, as, as anyone else. Very open dialogue, best idea wins. You know, they, they're very collaborative with their actors. They're always ready to go back and do it again if, if there's a chance that it can be better. We shot a few of these sequences multiple times, like completely scrapped them, went back to the beginning after watching them and seeing them when they were edited. I'm still not convinced, even though the movie comes out in a few days, that we're not going to go back <laughs> and reshoot a few scenes. <laughs> so, but that's what's great about them. You know, it's like it's never pencils up until the last minute. There's such great easy dialogue in this film that yeah. feels very natural. Were you able to have a say in that and what's happening in the moment? A little bit of improv, especially the stuff between you and Chris Evans and also with Anna and yeah. Billy Bob. I mean, it's a great cast. And I imagine there there would be room for some improv. Those always uh, improvising and always uh, also in the morning, a lot of times we would meet and Joe would pull up the script on a, on a big screen and we would go through and just rewrite it in the morning before we shot for the rest of the day because we had learned something about the character or the tone of it the day before, you know. So the characters are constantly 
evolving. Definitely with the sense of humor of the character, he was much more kind of like stoic in the script, you know, and we kept Mm -hmm. going, well, how funny can he be, you know, because obviously he's not telling jokes, but a kind of gallows humor seems appropriate for someone (laughs) in such a bleak existence. Mm. You must be Lloyd. What gave it away? The white pants, the trash dash, it just, it leans Lloyd. Where's the drive? Got it here somewhere, it's hard to see it. Is that it? So, you know, we kept, we kept dialing that in and, but yeah, constantly every morning just reassessing who these characters were now and what we were learning about them. Mm-hmm. It's part of, you know, the facts on file for, for Ryan Gosling. You started as a child actor. But what was that kernel that you experienced or that moment as a kid that made you decide? I mean, you talk a little bit about dancing, but what was it that made you feel like you could do this? What was it that spoke to you? Was it a specific performance or a play or a television show or... It's a lot of things, you know, obviously it's the people that tell you you can't do something and it's also the people that think that you can, you know, that can be equally as motivating. I think the main most obvious moment was like, you know, that my father worked in a paper mill. Most of the men in my family worked at a paper mill. I come from a paper mill town. My uncle came over one day and said he was going to be Elvis for a while. And he, and you're going to be in my act, you know. Ah, like a like a cabaret kind of he thing. He put together yeah. this Elvis impersonation act and uh, put everyone in it. And suddenly it was like the circus had come to town. You know, we all had a job to do. We were wearing costumes. <laughs> we were um, having so much fun. Just we would go to the mall and perform and people were having fun watching it. And, and one day he just stopped and everything went back to normal. And I thought to myself, like, wait a second. Can we do that again? <laughs> maybe not, you know, maybe not with Elvis, but some is there some way to keep doing that? Because that that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then from there it was you just auditioned and got. So one then I thing went into dance another. classes uh, because that seemed like the best way to keep, you know, that was, you know, they, it was the only way I could kind of mirror that experience. Yeah, and then when I was in dance classes, these. These girls that I danced with were auditioning for the Mickey Mouse Club, Mm -hmm. and I went with them, and I got the part, and then I got to see what, I got to act a little on that show, and I got to sing, okay, well, maybe there's more of a future in this. It seems like hard to be a dancer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure, uh, you know, these MC Hammer Pants are going to look good for very much longer. (laughs) Maybe I need to... uh, pivot here, you know, so I kind of focused more on acting after that, and it's 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 sort of been like that ever since. Well, thank God that lives in video somewhere oh, on the thank internet. God, thank yeah. God we, we yeah, have that. I'm so happy about that. Well, what's interesting is, as I said earlier when I when I came in and, and we weren't recording, I remember you, I don't remember you from, from that period. I remember seeing you at Sundance, and whether it was The Believer or... You weren't I mean, a big Mickey Mouse Club fan? No, I wasn't at the time. I mean, really? No. Shocked. I'm a little too old for that. I'm a decade older than you. Uh, but the it was whether it was Slaughter Rule or The Believer or I think it was, you know, there was a, this run here where you were in these great independent films. And then The Notebook comes out. 
And suddenly it's like Ryan's discovered as like, a, you know, it was a great film. It still holds up. People still talk about crying during The Notebook, no matter, you know, how old you are or when you see it or on the airplane or at home or whatever. It still holds up as a great one of the great all-time romantic films. But it catapulted you and and Rachel into the limelight, into this kind of like heartthrob status. And what I think is so interesting is you had that and then you went right back into the independent world and went in on that track. Were you thinking about what you wanted your career to look like at that point? Like how did you manage that kind of newfound fame? Was there any kind of concrete decision like, whoa, 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 I need to like do this before I really go all in here? I think it's always just like, you know, this, I needed to make a living (laughs) and this was going to be my job and uh, I wanted to keep working. And it just felt like every time I did something, the idea seemed to be like that was all I could do. And then I just felt like I had to, in order to keep like working (laughs) and making a living, I had to find a way to not get stuck Mm -hmm. in this, this idea of me. Mm-hmm. A lot of the Hollywood movies I auditioned for, I just didn't get. I was just not. It just seemed like it wasn't going to happen there. And and I could have a, I could get parts in independent films, you know. So that's where the work was. That's where I went. And then, you know, but then there was this idea that you know, because I was playing a lot of psychopaths or you know, like disturbed people, like that's that that's what I was complicated. About, that that's what I was about, you know. And then yeah. I thought, well, I gotta get out of this because uh, that's not. I'm not gonna last very long if that's all I do. Mm-hmm. So then when The Notebook came along, I was like, okay, well, here's a chance to kind of do something else. And then, you know, when that came out, it was sort of like, okay, well, then he's he's that guy. And then I thought, well, okay, I got to make sure I don't just play that guy because I'm not going to last very long. So it's just it's just been about sort of trying to, like, uh, you know, keep my health care. Yeah, and then Half Nelson comes along, and you're 26 years old, and you're nominated for an Oscar, which is a giant moment. I actually remember that. I think you came with your mom and your sister. I remember vividly remember that moment because that's yeah. such a great film. And I would say any listeners, if you haven't seen that film, find it and watch it. Thank and you. then we know, obviously, La La Land, one of my favorites, mm-hmm. um, where you got to use your dancing skills. Yep. Brought the hammer pants back out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> Stretched my hammies and I, <laughs> oh my I sparkled, God. baby. Yeah, you did. You sparkled. And, and you got a little bit of it. Uh, you know, I think those skills pay off in this film because it's such a physical role. Yeah. And you have to be so agile. Otherwise, we're not going to believe you as this, you know, the gray man, as this operative that no one can catch. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of how all of those skills played into this mm-hmm. moment right now, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and finally making that action movie that I wanted to make when I was a kid. So it's. Um, I hope you get a figure. I hope Netflix. I'm going to talk to them about maybe getting a gray man figure. Would can that I, be fun? While you're talking to them, can you talk about me getting a cut of that figure? <laughs> can I get a say in what it looks like? <laughs> All right. So action, you've done it. Independent, you've done it. Complicated, sociopath, you've done it. Comedy, you've done. Is there anything else that you really want to do next that you haven't done? Well, it's interesting, you know, working with the Russos, like I would, in, in their Marvel past, like I, always, I would like to do something over there at some point, you know. It's just about finding the right, the right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you have given us, I'm excited to see Barbie. You have given us some entertainment over the oh. last month with those pictures that have leaked from shooting. Okay. It has given, brought joy 
to a lot of people. It brought joy to me. So much joy. <laughs> Can't wait for that. I love Greta. Greta is someone who's like another person that I've known forever, and I'm just so happy for her. You know, obviously I never worked with like John Ford or Hawks or any of the greats, you know, but I feel like after working with Greta, like I, I know what that must have been like, you know. Well, that's a nice thing to say. She's incredible. And that the film is so much fun. And it's just, it's, she's done something really special. I can't wait for people to see it. All right. So at this point in the process, what brings you the most joy? Like, what, what do you appreciate about what you do? Obviously, early on, you want to make money. You're good at it. You want to get that part. But now at this point, for you, what do you get from it? Well, I'm still, you know, just happy that I, I, I you know, I don't have to go work at a paper mill. You know, I, that it's honest work, but this is a lot more fun, and I appreciate it more and more as I get older. And, you know, it's really about my kids. I mean, it's all about that. Everything I've done since my kids were born have been about them in some way. You know, like with La La Land, it was sort of like, uh, well, it'll be fun to have music in the house. I'll be playing piano all the time, going to dance classes, you know, like maybe that. What's that? That could be a fun experience for them, too. You know, some of these places we get to travel, you know, with this film, it was like an opportunity to go to Prague and, and to mm -hmm. France. You know, so it's, we're a team now, so it's a team decision. I'm lucky to have a choice right now, so when I, that's the main kind of filter it goes through. It's like sort of, how is this, how is this going to work for everyone? Mm -hmm. And how do you balance that? Like when you're shooting in Prague and you're shooting like a month-long chain to a bench, because <laughs> I also read that that scene yeah. took a month to shoot from all the different angles, and yeah. it all pays off. So it was worth all of the time that it took to shoot that. But do you ever have that voice in your head going, like, what am I doing here? I'm chained to this bench for day 28. Well, my kids were in the hotel, right, on the square. So far they've been able to come everywhere that's great. Everywhere that I've been and, you know, um, they homeschool. So, you know, the teacher just like gears their curriculum to wherever we are. So if we're whatever country we're in, you know, they're, they're learning about that country. And, so, you know, so far it's been really, um, it's, it's worked out. Yeah, that's a great experience. That's an added experience. I would have loved that as a kid. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, well, this podcast, this season, I'm talking about ambition because I felt like being in lockdown for, for two years, most of us contemplated who we wanted to be when we came out of this. Who did we want to be? How did we want to spend our time once we went, quote unquote, back to normal? What is your relationship to ambition these days? Has it changed at all? after the past two years. How are you feeling about ambition these days, Ryan? Hmm. You know, I, 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 I mean, it's interesting you bring up the pandemic because most of the time when, you know, when you get asked about, like, well, how did this film come about? It's not very interesting, really, for the most part. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I read the script. I liked it. I didn't like it. I did it. I didn't do it. I don't know what to say. <laughs> that process is not eventful, really. But what was interesting about this was this was middle of the pandemic, all the movie theaters are closing all around the world, all the film productions are closing. There's, you know, a discussion around when and how movies will even be a thing again. Like everyone else, I'm, I'm consuming a lot of content, watching Netflix, and grateful that it exists, and, you know, getting an escape through it. And then the Russos call and say, do you want to go around the world and make this globetrotting epic? Action film, you know, the biggest film that Netflix has ever made. You know, it's mm -hmm. just, it was, talk about ambition. And 
you know, watching everybody pull together to make this film, already this film, just to make a film of this size, it's just like, it's it's mind-blowing in multiple countries. Just, just, but then in the circumstances that, the, that, that we were making it, it was even kind of more amazing to me. Mm-hmm. And in the end, when we were in Prague and we had kind of done it, and here we were making this, this finishing this film now, you know, I had like my hat went, went off to them, you know, because that was like a really, it's a bold thing to do anyway. And uh, it's, it's not something that, that I would have thought was possible. And it's only because they were so ambitious, you know, and have the experience that they have, that they were able to pull it off. So I, I, I really, I think, benefited, my family benefited, you know, from, from that ambition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found myself being more ambitious for af- coming out of it, uh-huh. feeling like there's more time behind me than in front of me. And I have two boys. They're older than your kids, like teenagers, mm-hmm. and more ambitious for them and their experiences because they really got robbed during, you know, it was very challenging mm-hmm. for them. And I had a lot of loss during during those two years. So I came out of it like, yeah, like kind of how I felt when I was a lot younger. And then and then you just kind of get into your routine. And now I feel like I have an ignited ambition. It's kind of interesting. Well, I'm super proud of you and everything you've done. Thank you. It's nice to see you. It's great to see you. The Gray Man is streaming now on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueUE.com. 